Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. This week and next week, before Advent starts, yes, I said those words, Advent is about to start. Um, And so these next two weeks, we're going to be looking at um, a real short little sermon series here. And this week, we're going to be talking about prayer. And next week, we're going to be talking about scripture. And just exploring and hoping to invite you into that conversation. And no matter where you are in your journey, whether you are just approaching prayer or just approaching scripture, or you have been a prayer warrior for many, many years, that you will see new and different ways that you can engage with God and just experience God's presence. I think everyone tends to agree that we need to pray more that um, I should pray more, my family should pray more together, we should be a praying church. And I have seen over the past years that I have been here, our church really embrace that prayer, that life of prayer and being a church who is called to prayer and a praying church. We have our prayer and healing service, which is this evening, that we have once a month with just an opportunity just to focus on that. But more than that, it permeates our church. It permeates the conversations that we have, spontaneous and planned. And that's what it should do in our lives as well. It should permeate our lives. It should be spontaneous and it should be planned. It should be incorporated into all of those parts of our lives. But it can still be a little intimidating and hard to admit that we might struggle with prayer, that maybe it doesn't come naturally. News from this out. I hope that you will take something from today and your heart will be transformed with that. First, I want to recommend a book that I used for this uh, sermon series for today, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Are we all normal or sort of normal? (laughs) Call ourselves normal, maybe. (laughs) But this is a fabulous book. It just came out. It's by Pete Gregg. If you don't know, Pete Gregg is the founder of the 24-7 Prayer Ministry. And this is just a fantastic book. But along with this book online, there is a free resource called uh, Prayer Course, P-R-A-Y-E-R Course, C-O-U-R-S-E, like a course in college, dot org. And I'll, we'll be posting that and sending out some links to that so that you can look at that. But there are fantastic um, resources and stuff um, available through there. You'll see even on there they have, he has a whole course on unanswered prayer, which we're not going to talk about today, but that's something that we all struggle with and, and struggle to understand. So this is a fantastic, fantastic resource that you can use, whether it's individually or in a, in a small group or a Sunday school class or something as well. So as we continue on this journey, and we're trying to connect with God through all these different pathways, through all these different ways that we can connect with God, we're exploring life with God on this journey. 
And sometimes we want that fastest route, don't we? Sometimes life hands us that fastest route because sometimes we get a diagnosis, sometimes we get news or we experience a loss where our immediate response is, help me, Jesus. And sometimes we go about our lives day to day and we forget to call God into the, and call ourselves and bring ourselves into God's presence. But sometimes we want that fastest route But I want us to think today about prayer being something that we explore. Prayer being something like more of a journey and a hike with places to stop and pathways to go down and explore. And sometimes there's going to be mountaintops where you can see a tremendous view in front of you. And sometimes you're going to be sitting in a quiet, small space in a valley, able to sit by the rivers and sit by the flowers. And so you've got to find your path and your rhythm when you're hiking like that. But the good news is, God is with us on that journey. But we have to start somewhere. So today, our map that we're going to use for this journey is going to be the Lord's Prayer. This is what Jesus, how Jesus taught us to pray. And then we're going to have four points. That's why the sermon series is called Four Words, because we're going to have four words this week, and we're going to have four more different words next week as we explore Scripture. So our scripture for today comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think at some point, and I hope at some point, that we all tend to ask ourselves in our Christian walk, is this all there is to knowing the creator of the universe? Is this all there is to knowing his miracles and his works and who he is. It's why part of our, our, that we talk about here at KMC is more to life. Is there something more? We know we've got that answer in Jesus and that he's that answer to more to life, but once we're in that new life, what else is he calling us into further? Is there more to life in Jesus? And so I think when we hit that point, Hopefully our response is to stop and say, God, teach me how to pray. I wonder, when I was reading this this week, I wonder exactly what it was that the disciples had been with Jesus for a while at this point. What was it in them? What happened? What happened around them that suddenly made them approach Jesus and ask him to teach them to pray? Think about that. There's no answer to that, but think about that. And think about that in your own life, how that applies to us. What is it in those moments that drive us to to respond to God and to ask him to teach us to pray? When we want to go deeper, when we want to be spurred into something more. But notice that Jesus' response wasn't, guys, y'all should already know this. Come on. You've been raised in the church. You've been raised here. But his response was, let me teach you. Let me share that with you. 
they had to learn as well. And so today, those four words that we're going to talk about, and we're going to follow them through, they're revealed in that Lord's Prayer, are to pause, to rejoice, to ask, and yield. And we're going to see how that is reflected in the Lord's Prayer. Abraham Heschel, who's a Jewish theologian, said this quote, and I love this, Prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Let me say that one more time. Prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Life is filled with moments of unabounding joy, paralyzing pain, and prayer is the answer to both of those extremes and everything in the middle. And as we approach prayer, we need to prepare ourselves. And so the first things that I think we need to do, we need to start by finding a place. If you've ever heard the expression, location, 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 well, guess what? You need a location. And sometimes that changes. We see in, verse 11, uh, in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus had his favorite places where he prayed, places where he felt more connected and more in God's presence that he was drawn to. He even told the disciples, when you pray, go to your room and close the door. If we look at Pentecost, when we see that, read that in Scripture, we hear or see how the Holy Spirit filled the house, and then it filled the people. Place is important. So find your place. God's presence is freely available to us at any time and any place through Jesus. And I know that's changed for me personally over the years, how I've been able to approach that different phases of life, when my different routines and challenges and my time and how that looks. And so I've had to change it at times. I was reading about Susanna Wesley recently. She had 19 children. This is uh, John Charles Wesley's mother. She had 19 children total. Ten survived. Nine died in infancy. She, their house burned down twice. Her husband was imprisoned twice for um, an inability to pay debts. She homeschooled all those children. Six hours a day, she schooled the children, and she made a commitment to each of her children for one, to spend one hour with each one of them individually each week. So, of course, you know, she didn't have a big house. So do you know what she did when she needed to pray? When she just needed a moment to be in God's presence? She would take her apron and put it up over her head and just stop right there. And it was a signal to her children. It was a signal to everyone in the house. Mama's praying. <laughs> that was her place. It went with her wherever she went. We have a beautiful prayer shawl ministry, which I think symbolizes that so well too, where those prayers, those shawls are prayed over, and then it's a reminder of that physical presence of prayer and that ability to just meet God in those moments. So find a location, and that may change. Jesus didn't always pray in the exact same places, but find a location, find a place that allows you to connect with God's presence. And then here's a biggie, be honest. Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases 
God knows our heart. And when we're telling the truth, we're closer to God. I think sometimes we are so afraid that our thoughts or our feelings are going to offend God, that our fears, our questions, our doubts mean that we are not faithful. But I think it shows the opposite. Because you're taking those to God. What could be more of an act of faith than to take your doubts and your fears to God? When it means you're still trying to work out all of those things. Jesus begged God to take this cup from me before he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Jacob wrestled with God. Moses, and I use this word purposefully, whined, because that's how I, when I read the scripture, this is how I hear Moses saying these things. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? No, that was your idea. Did I birth them? He's whining. <laughs> He's being honest. They're going before God with their honesty. C.S. Lewis says this, What seems our worst prayers may really be, in God's eyes, our best. It's the moments when we're the most vulnerable and the most honest. And the last part is to be consistent in your prayers. We build holy habits because we spend time together, and we do it over the long haul. I've been married now for 31 years, and one of my secret things that I've always wanted in life is to have like kind of that cheers moment where you walk in and everyone knows your name. But mine is to be able to walk into a restaurant or a place that I go and they know my order and that I can just walk in and someone will do that. And my dream is to have that happen at Pete's Hamburgers now. That is my dream. So I know, dream big, I know. Um, <laughs> but you know what, who does order for me most of the time? My husband. He knows my hamburger order by heart. I know his. He will eat anything on a hamburger but mustard. Anything but mustard. And I know if it's got mustard on it, he's probably not going to eat it. And he'll eat almost anything. But it's because we've had that relationship over the years. He's heard me order over and over and over again. Because we've stayed in that relationship, because we have stayed in each other's presence, and we've kept communicating with each other, that we're able to know those inmost desires of our heart and how we want our hamburger prepared. <laughs> but it's through that consistency. And that's the same thing with prayer. We have to find a place, we have to be honest, and we have to be consistent with it. So now we're going to get down to those four words. First, is pause. Jesus first tells us to focus on God. In the Lord's Prayer, it starts out, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. That's not just a greeting. That is an opportunity to meditate on who God is. Psalm 46 tells us to be still and know that I am God, and Psalm 23 reminds us that he makes me lie down. In green pastures. He calls us to rest and he will make us lie down as well. My middle son Caleb, when he was younger, he was like such an easy kid in so many ways. 
But when he was little, he, when he was riding in the car and he would be tired and he would start to fuss. This is when he was like kind of a toddler, 18 months to two years old. And he, but he would start to fuss and start to cry in the back because he was just tired. And I learned eventually to just like tell him, Caleb, close your eyes and go to sleep. And this is what he would do in his car seat. He would go and just put his head over and went to sleep. Like I said, he was an easy kid in that phase of life. <laughs> Sometimes we need God to remind us to rest. We start to get fussy. We start to get distracted. We get, we get hungry. We get a little hangry. And we're distracted by all the things going on in life. And we need to be reminded to do that. The Latin word for still is vacate, V-A-C-A-T-E. It's the root of vacation. So that pause, the pause that we are called to is reminding us to take a vacation from being God. Let God be God. And let us just sit in his presence and come into his presence. Another little family story, I don't know if you know, my youngest daughter's name is Selah. And we got that name from the Psalms. And quite honestly, I thought I was going to have, I had two boys and I thought I was having another boy. Didn't even have a girl name picked out until I found out through the sonogram that I was having a girl. And I was like, oh, I better get on this. I got to figure out a girl's name. And so I started looking at, looking at different names and I came across Selah. And in the book that I looked in, what they define Selah as, or the name and the interpretation, was to pause and think upon God. I thought, what a perfect name. A name to remind her to constantly, no matter where she is in life, to pause and think upon God. But that's hard to do. It's hard to sit in silence. And sometimes we think we're not good at prayer because we're not good at sitting still. Well, I don't think we have to just sit still. I think that there are artists who paint and sculpt and runners and walkers. One of the main ways I pray is when I walk on the trails. That is my time to talk. I don't listen to any music, and that is my time with God. Stillness can be active, but it's about quieting our mind. So embrace that pause. And once we have that moment of pause to acknowledge who God is, hallowed be thy name, that he is our Father, then we get to rejoice. That's the second letter. Rejoice. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is an acknowledgement of who God is, that we are dearly loved children of God who we are able to call Father, Abba. When Jesus is talking about prayer in Matthew, and he focuses on this intimacy, he tells them to ask and it will be given to you. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. We see that reference to the father again. And the prodigal son, when Jesus is telling that parable, God is a father who is running with open arms to his child. How can we do anything but rejoice? Rejoice that that describes our relationship that the great I am asks us to call him father and calls us his children. The Holy One desires to be in a relationship with us, and he loves us so much. 
And he loved us to the point that in order to restore relationship with us, he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. But the way that we view God is reflected in our prayers. And when we spend time meditating on those first few words, how can we do anything but just worship spontaneously and creatively from our hearts? We sing to the Lord a new song. We rejoice. So we pause, we rejoice, and then we ask. The Lord's Prayer is filled with a lot of different ask. Your kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We are called to ask or to petition for ourselves. We are called to ask or intercess for others. And we're called to persevere and continue asking God. To most people, prayer is about asking God for God's help when things get a little dicey, when there's an illness or an accident or we hit rock bottom, when we're facing a challenge or a loss. We're vulnerable and we're being intentional. When you go and ask someone a question or ask them for a favor, or ask them to do something for you, you assume that you're going to be treated with respect, that they're going to respond in a way that's respectful and values the relationship. You're making yourself vulnerable to that other person because ultimately you're kind of demonstrating a weakness that you have in that moment. Weakness may be something that is just every day, but it shows that we don't have it all together. And it's intentional. We have to be intentional when we go and have that interaction and that conversation with someone to ask something of them. But it means that we are in relationship with Jesus when we ask him to do things for us. That we know that we are valued and we're demonstrating our dependence on him and on his love and grace and mercy. But we must be intentional in that. It's not just wishing, it's asking. It's that intentional act of asking. I can wish for a cookie all day long, but it's not until I ask someone that that opportunity exists for it to be shared with me. It requires having that conversation. And when we are praying in the name of Jesus, we are aligning our wills with him. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. It's our job to stay focused on him. And we do that through prayer. We do that by remembering to ask him, not only for the big things, but for all the little things in life as well. And so we also yield to God. We yield to God's presence and his authority on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Deliver us from evil. What we are doing is we are saying yes to God, yes to his ways, and yes to his kingdom. We are yielding to him. We yield to God's presence on earth as it is in heaven through contemplative prayer, by listening to his word. David's prayers included, May the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And he also says later on in another psalm, For God alone my soul waits in silence. 
Charles Wesley wrote, Lost in wonder, love, and praise. When we are in perfect prayer, we abandon ourselves to God. I love to read, and my mark of a good book is when I've completely lost myself in that book and in the characters. Have you ever read something and you know you're coming to the end of the book, but you've gotten so attached to the characters in the book that you purposely slow down your reading so that you can prolong the end of the book? I might be the only weird person who does that, but I do that. I get so invested, I get so involved in the story. That's what we're called to do when we are in prayer, to get so lost in God's story that we don't want it to end, that we don't want it to stop. And we yield to God's holiness through confession and reconciliation. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we engage in spiritual warfare when we ask him to deliver us from evil. We are yielding our lives in prayer so that our lives become a prayer. We are surrendering and we're emptying ourselves out and we're being filled by God. Just like a child learns to speak because their parents speak to them. That's how we learn to talk to God, by listening to God talk to us. And that is our greatest need. Our greatest need is for forgiveness. In the context of the of, of biblical times, forgiveness was a, was a financial transaction. Forgiveness of a debt. And think about it this way. You wouldn't just walk up to anyone on the street and go, would you pay my mortgage for me this month? Or maybe, maybe just pay it off for me. That would be even better. No. The world doesn't walk, work that way. But God does. And so when we acknowledge his forgiveness, when we acknowledge that we must forgive others in order to fully understand and experience God's forgiveness, when we start to pray that, we realize what an amazing and beautiful gift it is. And we're called to engage in that spiritual warfare that when we are praying the Lord's Prayer and yielding to God's power to deliver us from evil. Sometimes we get a little nervous talking about that in our culture. It's not something we really like to talk about. But I think that it's something that we need to acknowledge. It's acknowledged in Scripture. Ephesians 6, 16, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We're called to pray against that. N.T. Wright said, When human beings worship that which is not God... They give authority to forces of destruction, and those forces gain power. We give authority to the forces of destruction, and those forces gain power. When we worship status or success or image or jobs or idols that we create in our lives, we allow those to gain control. Control in our lives and a control in our world. Yielding is about reclaiming God's power in our lives and in the world. So as we go through this this morning, those four steps to pause, to rejoice, 
to ask and to yield. They're all found in Scripture. They're all found in Jesus and the way that he taught us to pray. There's no comprehensive checklist or formula that I'm going to give you today for prayer. There's not really one in the book. There's lots of ideas, and there's beautiful ways to explore and things that um, are talked about in that book and in other books on prayer as well. God created so many ways for us to interact with him and experience his presence. I think it's okay for us to have our favorite ways, but I also believe we need to stretch our prayer muscles a little bit at times. And on that path of exploring, we need to follow an unfamiliar path every once in a while and see what God has in store for us around the bend. But here's the bottom line. The God who made you loves you. He longs to walk and talk with you in an ever-deepening relationship. So pause. Be still and know that he is God. Rejoice that God loves you and knows you and interprets your heart perfectly. Ask and it will be given unto you and yield every part of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. That's what prayer is. And there is more to life that, and more to prayer that is readily available to you. So start exploring those many pathways that lead to God filling our hearts and our minds and our lives and emptying of ourselves so that we may be fully in his presence and invite others around us to be in his presence as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.